Hi all, you're listening to At The Bean, a medical education podcast where we discuss high-yield oncology with a focus in radiation oncology. We are Trudy and Josh, and thank you for listening. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bean. We've been on a little bit of a break. Josh and I have been quite busy, <laughs> but we're back and we're ready to rumble. And it's the holiday season, so happy holidays to everyone. Happy we hope... holidays. <laughs> we hope there's some good New Year's resolutions out there and your 2024 year is off to a good start. So, um, Josh, before we jump into our yeah. breast case, I had a very important question for you. Oh, my God, what's that? <laughs> I understand that you're also a huge friends fan yeah that's right right? yeah i would love to have a friend in real life but you know (laughs) i I had to settle for the six that i see on tv so i think that works pretty well (laughs) what is your favorite friends episode i'm dying to know oh god yeah there's so many i don't even know um you know, one of the um, the ones I really like is the the leather pants one. I think you and I were talking about this the other day. <laughs> Arguably one of the best episodes ever oh, on yeah, television. Hands down. Yeah, you create that little muck with the baby powder and he smacks himself <laughs> in the head. <laughs> oh, my great. gosh. My favorite episode yeah. also Ross related because I think uh, Ross is probably one of my favorite characters. Um when he goes to the tanning salon and he counts very slowly, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and oh then just gets uh, spray tanned a full, full eight all over his front. Full eight. That's right. <laughs> so where do you stand on that? So who was right? You know, do you count Mississippi or not? You know, I've actually thought about this a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why they make the customer count because they should just say, <laughs> Once it sprays, immediately turn around. What's the purpose of counting and waiting? It's all for good television, right? Yeah, but... no, that's fair. That's fair. You know what? The, I, the I... thing is, this guy that was running the tanning salon, he's, you know, he's from the future, right? He wants to <laughs> automate things. So he presses this button that automates. And he's from New York, right? So he's like, what the hell is Mississippi? So, so <laughs> Ross should have understood there's no Mississippi in New York. And yeah, it's true. <laughs> Clearly, I thought about this as well. Coming in strong with the dad jokes. I love it. (laughs) All right. Okay. Well, if there are other Friends fans out there, please let us know. We would love to chit-chat about the best show ever created. (laughs) It's the best. Um, All right. So today we're going to discuss another case of early-stage breast cancer. If you haven't listened already, there have been three episodes from season one, so please check those out. The median age of diagnosis in breast cancer is 61 years old, but often we see women who are diagnosed in their later years. Estrogen exposure is considered a risk factor, which is often related to older age, late menopause, and then the use of hormone replacement therapy. So before we dive into this case, Josh, let's briefly discuss the anatomy of the breast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the breast is going to overlie the pectoralis major muscle, and so it extends laterally into the low axilla, which is oftentimes called the axillary tail of Spence. Um, and, you know, one of the questions we ask ourselves is where do most of the uh, glandular tissue, uh, where they lay. So it'll often be in the upper outer quadrant, which is where the majority of breast cancers arise from. And lymphatic drainage from breast cancer is also important to understand. So we want to keep in mind that there are um, several levels that are at risk for nodal metastases. The axilla has three levels that's delineated by the PEG minor, which is an important landmark to identify these on a CT scan. 
Um, level one is going to be located um, inferior and lateral to the pec minor. Level two is directly posterior to that pec minor. And then level three is going to be superior and medial to the pec minor. So just really surrounding that pec minor there. Other regions at risk are the uh, supraclavicular and the IMNs, uh, which are adjacent to the sternum and then located in the first three intercostal spaces, specifically for the IMNs. And of note, when we're considering risks of lymphatic spaces, a medial primary tumor is going to be twice as likely to drain to the IMN. So something you want to consider um, when determining the tumor location and areas of coverage. That's a great overview. <laughs> um, and a quick word on pathology. So most breast cancers, they are ERPR positive and are more commonly observed in postmenopausal patients. Another important biomarker is HER2 status, which stands for Human Epidermal Growth Factor Receptor 2, and it's amplified in about a quarter to a third of cancers. The most biologically aggressive cancer is termed triple negative breast cancer, in which ER, PR, and HER2 are all negative, i.e. not expressed, and is observed in about 15% of cases. So if you have a patient with triple negative breast cancer, it is advised to have a genetic screen for the presence of a deleterious mutation. Yeah, and you may hear the terms luminal A, B, and basal-like that's thrown around. So these are molecular subtypes of breast cancers. Luminal A breast cancers are generally more biologically favorable, so they'll have ER positivity as well as a low KI-67. Luminal B cancers are ER positive with a high KI-67 or triple positive. And then basal-like, which is also known as TNBC or the triple negative breast cancers, are exactly as described where they're negative for ERPR receptors as well as HER2 receptors. And finally, there are HER2 enriched cancers. So this represents HER2 positivity alone and generally has a high KI-67. So generally speaking, tumors with a high KI-67 are expected to achieve a better clinical and radiographic response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy. All right, very good. So let's talk a little bit about high-risk screening. Say we have a female with a BRCA mutation, how would you like to screen her for breast cancer? Yeah, so there's going to be a few different societal guidelines for screening. The ACR recommends starting at age 25 to 30 for patients with a BRCA mutation. The USPSTF task force, they recommend screening 10 years before the age of the youngest first-degree relative that's diagnosed. And for women with any hereditary mutation, a screening MRI is recommended. Perfect. Okay, let's jump into our case. So we have a 73-year-old female who was found to have suspicious calcifications on her screening mammogram of the right breast. This did not have any correlative findings on ultrasound, and there were no suspicious axillary lymph nodes. Radiology has arranged for her to get a stereotactic biopsy in two weeks. And you call her to discuss the abnormal mammogram. So Josh, what sorts of questions would you like to ask her over the phone? Yeah, so you know, I'd like to know if there's any palpable abnormalities in her breast. Uh, also wanna get a, a sense of her history, if there's any hormone replacement therapy that was used, figure out how many years from menarche there were to menopause, um, figure out history of breast cancer in their family, as well as when the last normal mammogram was. Now, if she were in clinic, I'd do a breast exam, um, wanna palpate for any abnormalities, look for any skin changes, and also do a regional lymph node exam. All right, perfect. So um, she's in clinic magically, and then there are no <laughs> palpable masses. Uh, she's never been on hormone replacement therapy, and her last mammogram was two years ago. Her family history is negative. She undergoes stereotactic biopsy, and the pathology returns as a low-grade 
IDC, strongly ERPR positive, HER2 negative, KI67 was 3%. So knowing that she has a biologically favorable early stage breast cancer, are there any additional pieces in her information that you would like to obtain? Yeah, so now I'm thinking that she may be a candidate for admission of radiotherapy after surgery. This means that she'll be on adjuvant um, AI alone or aromatase inhibitor therapy. And I'd like to gain a better understanding of her predicted tolerance of uh, AIs. Um, I'd also like to ask if she's had any baseline arthralgias or a history of osteopenia or maybe osteoporosis, and then get a better understanding of her baseline functional status and any comorbid conditions. Yeah, so those are all excellent points. It is always a good idea when you're meeting a potential admission candidate to ask her about her general health status because that may help inform your counseling. Um, does she need any additional imaging workup? You look at her recent labs and they're all normal. No, since this appears to be an early stage breast cancer, she does not need any more imaging studies. Uh, the NCCN does not recommend full body saving scans, despite what you might see on social media. And uh, MRI brain for uh, stage one to stage two in the absence of worrisome physical exam findings or labs are not necessary. All right. Um, at what point would you want to get an MRI of the breast? Yes, yeah, so the MRI of the breast is great for certain indications that should be ordered with caution since it can result in some false positive findings. Uh, some common scenarios where you want to order an MRI are if a patient presents with a clinically node positive appearance or, or disease and you're looking for the primary tumor, um, patients who have breast implants, or when there's a mass in exam but no mammogram or ultrasound that correlates with that. Okay. Uh, let's go over staging quickly. Since we review staging in greater detail in our prior breast episodes, we'll just hit some high points here. What tumor size is classified as a T1 tumor? So that's any tumor that's less than or equal to two centimeters will be clinical T1. What if the tumor is greater than five centimeters? So any tumor that's greater than five centimeters is a clinical T3. What if the tumor is five centimeters and is found to have extension into the chest wall? So that extension to the uh, chest wall, not the pec major, irrespective of size, is automatically a clinical T4 tumor. Uh, this also stands true for patients who present with Puderange, skin ulcers, satellite skin nodules, or inflammatory breast cancer. I really like the flair you said with the <laughs> Puderange. I don't even know how Thank to say you. it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, a tumor that measures three centimeters but is, is associated with satellite skin nodules is a clinical T4 tumor. Okay. What about the axilla? How do we stage the axilla? Yeah, so a mobile ipsilateral level 1 to 2 lymph node, that'll be considered a clinical N1. If these low axilla lymph nodes are fixed or they're matted, or if there's a suspicious isolated ipsilateral IMN, the patient is going to be a, a clinical N2. Whenever infraclavicular, supraclavicular, or IMNs um, in the presence of other axillary level involvement is present, the patient will be a clinical N3. Uh, we have to remember that clinical and pathologic nodal staging is different in breast cancers. Yeah. All right. So our patient, she undergoes breast conservation therapy. She gets a lumpectomy. And on her final pathology, she is found to have a 0.9 centimeter low-grade IDC associated with calx, ERPR positive, HER2 negative, KI67 is 5%, and there is no DCIS. 
uh, taking a step aside, you may notice that she did not have a sentinel lymph node biopsy. So in 2016, the Society of Surgical Oncology released a Choosing Wisely guideline, which advised against the use of sentinel lymph node biopsies in females who are greater or equal to 70 years old with early stage hormone positive, clinically no negative invasive breast cancer. And then recently, the International Phase 3 randomized SOUND trial supports this notion in women of all ages with a clinical T1 N0 tumor by negative pre-op axillary ultrasound. And we will link those studies and those guidelines in our show notes. All right, Josh, what would be considered sufficient to be deemed a margin-negative resection? Yeah, so a margin negative resection would be when there's no tumor on ink. So there's no numerical cutoff with respect to how far the tumor has to be from the edge of the specimen. And this was established by the Society of Surgical Oncology, as well as the American Society for Radiation Oncology Guidelines. Yeah, if uh, there were tumor on ink, the patient would need to go back for re-excision with the goal to achieve margin negative resection. Now, in our patient, she was found to have calcifications that were associated with her IDC. And these were screen detected. So we want to get a post-op mammogram to ensure that there's no residual suspicious calcifications. But we can also um, ensure that there's no residual calcifications by obtaining an intraoperative x-ray. All right. Perfect. So you see her in clinic two weeks after surgery. She's recovering well, and she shares with you that she's wary of radiation. She's had close family members go through radiation, and she's really worried about the potential toxicity. So how are you going to counsel her? So I would tell her that she has an early stage pathologic T1B N0 low grade hormone receptor positive breast cancer. And that because of her age, which is 72, she is a candidate for omission of radiotherapy. So I discussed the two main omission trials. This is the CalGB9343, which looked at women that were 70 years old or older with a T1N0 hormone receptor positive tumors and they were randomized to uh, tamoxifen alone versus RT with tamoxifen after lumpectomy. And this trial showed that women who received radiotherapy reduced their 10-year local regional recurrence from 10% to 2%, uh, but there was no impact on distant metastases or overall survival. Now, similarly, PRIME2 had a broader eligibility criteria. So these were um, with larger tumors up to T2. Uh, there were younger women that were 65 years old or older, and there were um, some with presence of high-grade disease or LVSI, but not both. And the five-year local recurrence was decreased by 75%, um, went from 4% to 1% for those who received radiotherapy as well. The 10-year data was recently published this year in 2023 and showed a more profound difference with in-breast local recurrence of 10% for those who don't receive adjuvant RT versus 0.9% for women who did receive radiotherapy. Now, these trials support endocrine alone after lumpectomy to be an appropriate treatment option in older women that have favorable early stage disease. Excellent. So she is worried she won't be able to tolerate the arthralgias that are associated with AIs. She has baseline arthritis and is interested in having radiation as a insurance policy. However, since it is the holiday season and she is planning to visit her grandkids in several weeks, she inquires what the treatment schedules are like. So what would you recommend? Yeah, around this time of year, that's certainly an important consideration. <laughs> so I think she'd be an excellent candidate for uh, an accelerated partial breast technique. Uh, this means treatment will consist of only five fractions. We have to determine suitability for uh, a PBI 
The Astro Clinical Practical Guidelines is an excellent resource for this. This was just recently updated in 2023. In patients with invasive disease, um, PBI is recommended for anyone that's 40 years old or older, has a clinical T1, ER positive, and tumors that were less than or equal to 2CM. In patients with DCIS, PBI is recommended for women that are 40 years and older, have low to intermediate grade DCIS, that's spanning less than two centimeters or equal to two centimeters. Uh, so there are additional risk factors that may be more on a conditional basis. That's something we won't discuss here, that, but we'll make sure to link that in our show notes. And for our patient, they do fulfill all these criteria. Great. So some other factors to keep in mind when considering a patient for partial breast is the patient's breast size. You want to limit the PTV volume to around 30% of the entire breast. So it really, really makes sense to treat a smaller breast with PBI. Uh, whether the lumpectomy cavity can be easily delineated, i.e. were there post-op clips left in, and the cavity location, upper outer quadrant tumors after surgery may be more favorable than an inner cavity tumor. So Josh, what is the dose and fractionation you like to use? Yeah, so for this, I treat per the Florence trial. So this would be 30 gray in five fractions, and we can use an IMRT approach, and this can be delivered either every other day or daily. And how would you sim this patient and contour? So I'd want to obtain a CT sim. This is without contrast and immobilize the patient uh, in a supine position on a breastboard, or this could be also done on a vac lock with arms above her head. Make sure to contour the post-op cavity and using those clips as a guideline, and then add a 1cm margin to form a CTV. And I'd probably add another uh, one centimeter margin to form the PTV and ensure that that's cropped three millimeters from the skin so we can uh, achieve proper coverage of planning. Very good. And the dosimetrists, they put a plan together. And what are some key dose constraints you're going to be looking out for? Yeah, so we want to look at PTV coverage. We want to make sure 95% of our PTV is covered by 100% of our prescribed dose. We also want to look at the V15 of the uninvolved breast, make sure that less than 50% of that is involved. And uh, ipsilateral lung, we want to look at the V10, make sure it's less than 20%. If this is a right-sided breast case, there's less concern for heart dose. You want to ensure that overall your heart dose is going to be uh, minimal or as low as reasonably achievable. Great. Okay, so your patient, she completes radiation with minimal side effects, which is awesome because that's what she was concerned about. Um, and then what's her follow-up schedule like? So for follow-up... I want to see her one to four times a year for a history and physical. This is for about five years, and then see her annually after that with a clinical exam. Also want to make sure that she resumes her annual screening mammograms as well. Excellent. And what? <laughs> I said <laughs> that really weird. <laughs> All right. Excellent. And what if the cavity could not be well delineated and you think whole breast irradiation would be a better option now? Um, she would still like to pursue a truncated treatment course because of her travel schedule. What would you recommend in this situation? Yeah, so I talked to her about a five-fraction course, whole breast irradiation. This would be per fast-forward, and we'd look at a dosing of 26 gray in five fractions. All right, great job, Josh. Um, huge thanks to Dr. Kim Corbin at the Mayo Clinic Rochester for helping us review today's script. You can find the show notes online and on our website at thebeam.com. Be well, and remember to trust but always verify. How you doing?